my name is Rodrigo. And this is Ryan. And this is the Ether Podcast. And today we are looking at Mark 7, verse 24, through chapter 8, verses 26. And we're covering a good long passage here. And uh, we're doing this on purpose because there's kind of a theme going through all of this. And uh, to sort of keep that in mind, we wanted to talk about where we're coming from and sort of set the context a little bit. So Ryan, if you could do that for us, please. Yeah, last time we, we had spent a good deal of time talking about the Pharisees. And so Jesus and the Pharisees had this meetup and there was a bit of a, a controversy going on. And we haven't seen the Pharisees in a while, but they show back up and they start questioning in Jesus. And one of the big things that they're questioning him about is his interaction with Gentiles. And it doesn't seem like that at first, but what they're, they're calling him on is the fact that they hadn't washed their hands before they started eating. And so the Jews or the Pharisees, actually, it's pretty interesting. As you start getting into it, you start realizing there are all these different factions within Judaism that it's hard to say Jews did this or Jews believed this. And two of the big groups were the Pharisees, who were the the, the local religious leaders and the Sadducees and the Sadducees were the priests and uh, they controlled the temple in Jerusalem. Right. And those two ruling parties believed very different things that the Sadducees were very open to the rule of the Romans. And they're the ones that lead the, the charge against Jesus later on when he goes to be crucified, that they're the ones that, are willing to turn him over to the Romans to be killed, that there's sort of this buddy-buddy relationship. But that's not how the Pharisees regarded things, that the Pharisees were very against the outsiders, that they looked at, at anybody who was not Jewish completely at a distance. And so they had come back from exile. So back in, in the Old Testament, they had been... Um, uh, in exile in Babylon, they'd come back to Jerusalem, they'd rebuilt the temple. And during this time, the Pharisees started laying out rules and coming up with ways, how can we not let something like that happen again? And it's because we fell into the idolatry and the paganistic practices of the Gentiles. And so they started creating all these extra rules, all these extra laws that distanced them from their Gentile neighbors. And one of the things that they came to believe was if a Gentile touches something and I touch that thing, I could become impure like a Gentile. And that means that I need to undergo some of these uh, ritual washings in order to cleanse myself and purify myself so that I could then be allowed to, to worship again. And so there was all these rituals that the Pharisees had built into everyday religious life that were designed to keep them pure, which in many ways is a good thing of I'm trying to keep myself pure for God. Sure. But what it did was it, it kept them at a distance from the Gentiles. And you think back to the, uh, the promise that God made to Abraham that in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that, that your family 
is going to become a light to the rest of the world that I, I want the rest of the world to be blessed. And I'm going to do things through you and through your family. That's going to allow the rest of the world to be blessed. And so God had a heart for the Gentiles. He had a heart for everybody. And <clears throat> excuse me. And the Pharisees through these laws had put impediments and obstacles between themselves and the Gentiles. And so when Jesus starts doing something that did not break the law, that did not break any law that Moses gave, that God gave to Moses, this was, these were laws that, that the Pharisees had come up with. And right. so um, they come up to Jesus and they say, uh, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? It's not saying, why do they break the law? It's why do they break this tradition? And so there's this whole back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees of saying, you guys are completely off base and you guys have done so much to hurt my view, to distort my view and my heart and my ambition for the world that my, my heart is for the Gentiles and you are putting roadblocks in people's way, stopping them from interacting with Gentiles, stopping them from having a relationship and being a light to them. And so what's going to happen and what we're going to talk about is how Jesus flies in the face of what the Pharisees were trying to establish that they, that Jesus purposefully went to the Gentiles. Yes, and uh, thus begins a, a little excursion in which he basically goes outside of uh, Jewish Palestine. The miracle that we wanted to park on is his encounter with this, uh, who is called the Cynophonician woman. And it's, uh, it's an interesting and very telling encounter in many ways, one of which is that usually rabbis didn't necessarily have much contact with women, but Jesus seems very free and very... Uh, open to having this conversation with her. And I think if you're a very casual Bible reader, this encounter can seem very harsh. Uh, it seems almost like Jesus is being mean to this woman. But upon further study and further um, really looking at this passage, you see actually quite the opposite. So I just want to read this to make sure I don't botch it. Uh, in verse, uh, This is Mark 7, verse 24. It says, uh, And from there he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house that did not want anyone to know, yet he did not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit uh, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, as in a Phoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of the daughter. And he said to her, let the children be, first, be, be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the, ch the child lying in bed and th the demon gone. And again, this can seem uh, to be a very harsh thing that Jesus is saying here. But it actually isn't, uh, first of all. And again, this, this has a sort of a, a duality to it, and I think it's really, really cool. Um, 
Jews didn't keep uh, dogs as pets as us Americans do and many other cultures around the world. Uh, they actually believed dogs to be unclean animals, so they didn't have them. And so in the Jewish context, to call somebody a dog is actually a very bad insult. But the word that he uses for dog in this particular conversation is one of little dog or the actual word that one would use for pet. And um, the Xenophonicians, just for those of you who are listening to this, were basically very much Hellenized. Like the Greeks, for example, they had pets. And these people hadn't been influenced by the Greeks in a way that they began to have pets as well. So two interesting things. One is that Jesus is talking to this woman very much in a context that she would understand from a day-to-day living kind of thing. And I think that's very cool. One of the things that Jesus consistently does in his encounters with people is that in one way or another, he frames things in a way that people really understand in sort of their language, their understanding, their culture, their everyday life. Many of the parables have rural, uh, a rural background, a rural understanding to them. And a lot of times when he's giving those parables, he's talking to people that live in the country. And mm-hmm. again, sort of the same concept here. This woman is more Greek than she is Jewish, or she's not Jewish at all, actually. She's a Gentile. But the the dominant influence of her culture are the Greeks. And so even the word that Jesus uses for dog or pet is one that she would would immediately understand immediately the image of a pet dog begging at at their owner's stable is that illusion would automatically connect with her. And it also is pretty incredible that she sort of plays along. I, I mean, she does not seem to be swayed by Jesus' response and actually sort of plays into it. And it's also pretty cool because she seems to be to have a little bit of an understanding of Jewish culture because she says, like, she has a thorough understanding that it makes sense that the Jews go first. But she says, like, hey, even uh, a pet dog would get the scraps from the table. And sort of she shows a lot of faith. She shows not only faith, but understanding in the Jewish culture. Certainly she has an interest in Jesus. She knows who he is. And Jesus is impressed by her. And it's a a great, very encouraging, I think once you sort of read it and understand it, even a very warm and dare I even say playful encounter that Jesus has here. Hmm. Yeah, this has always been one that has been difficult for me because I know that God is love. And this is one of those, those passages. And there's many um, where you have to keep telling yourself, God is love. God is love. Jesus is love. And this is one that I've had a hard time with over the years of looking at and saying, ma'am, what is Jesus saying to this, this woman? Um, I do like the, the, the idea that Jesus is speaking to her in terms that she would understand. You know, the, more familiar story, at least more familiar to me personally, is um, in Acts 17. Paul is uh, going around and he goes to Athens. And Paul is a, a man who grew up and was educated as a Jewish leader, as a Pharisee. And yet, what does he do when he t- speaks to the Greeks? It says in Acts 17, verse 22, Paul then stood up in the, in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And he then goes on to, to talk to them on their level. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Well, these are all things that the Athenians would have understood and that he's using terms that they would be very familiar with, that they probably knew where that, that inscription to an unknown God, where he found that. Oh, he found that down on, I've got no Greek words running through my head. <laughs> there's a, there's a statue down on main street that has that inscription across it. That right. They would have known exactly what he's talking about. And I think that, that does a couple of things. It, it, it definitely drops people's guards a lot when, when there's this, this connectivity that speaking in terms that somebody else understands. Um, I'm always so leery when uh, somebody comes to church with me and they start using terms that's vernacular Right. And, That's very much um, of the culture of the church. Right. Yes. The, the jargon that we use and that to me, it, it's totally clear, but I just get this like, uh, kind of feel when I, I can hear the jargon being said, um, not the jargon's bad. Doctors use jargon in order to accurately describe something. Um, so it's not, it, jargon's not a bad thing at all. Um, but I do appreciate that Jesus used words, terms, and ideas that, that this person could understand. Um, I also, it also gives me faith that um, looking at the rest of the Old Testament, there seemed to be this feeling of, um, let's take care of the Jews and there's very little that's discussed about the Gentiles, that the Gentiles show up in a positive way in the Old Testament only occasionally. Right. And so you start getting a better understanding then in Acts when there are these questions about, man, here's this guy in Acts 10, this Gentile who is a God-fearing believer who has apparently had this vision. And what do we do? Well do we baptize him or does he have to become a Jew and, and kind of unleashes these endless conversations. Um, and so it, it puts things into context a lot more. Yeah. And I think, and this is uh, a little bit more of an aside, I, you know, I certainly hope we can revisit this conversation at some other time, because I think it's one that is really would be really interesting to have, but I think it's sort of this idea that God always meant Israel to be a blessing to the nations. Absolutely. But it's almost like Israel was always dealing so much with their own problems <laughs> that I don't know that they ever really had time to be a blessing to the nations. You know what I mean? I think there's certainly, if you look at the history of Israel, actually throughout the Old Testament, there's very few times that you, that you sort of um, see Israel as this light because they're having so many struggles with idolatry. They're having so many struggles with not obeying God. At least the Israel that we know of through Old Testament scripture 
is one that's not necessarily neither obedient nor a light to the nations that are around them. So, you know, I wonder how, how much of that um, sort of closed inness that they had comes from having to deal with all these things. And certainly what you were saying at the beginning, that the Sadducees sort of created all these laws and the Pharisees as well to sort of cleanse, if you will, the nation of Israel. And again, that is a very, very much of an internal uh, problem solving thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and in contrast to this, you see Jesus having this interaction with his woman next healing a deaf man. And I think, interestingly enough, uh, something that happens within the gospel itself in that now there's the feeding of the 4,000 instead of 5,000. Right. And, you know, from the indications that the text gives us, he's not, this is probably not a majority Jewish crowd. And it's almost like Jesus wants to point the point out the fact that, hey, whatever I give to the Jews, in a sense, I, I'm also giving to the Gentiles. And this awesome miracle of feeding people from nothing. And again, it's the exact same situation. They sort of land in a place. Jesus teaches for a long time. They're hungry. He has compassion on them and wants to feed them. Once again, for whatever reason, uh, the disciples don't understand how this is going to happen, even though they've they've already done it before. Um, And same scenario. Hey, how many, how much bread do you have? How many fish do you have? They pass it around and there's plenty left over for everybody. Right. Everything is the same except for the amount of people that are there. And again, it's almost Jesus saying like, Hey, the door is wide open for the Gentiles as well. Whatever I give to the Jews, I give to the Gentiles. And I think it's, I get it, it flies so much in contrast with the attitude of the Pharisees that I think it it's it's amazing. And I think it 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 um I think from us having sort of a like we are Christians, like I'm from Mexico, you're from the United States. We both live here. That's right. You know, I think we uh as Americans we we sort of have this sense that we own Christianity in a sense. But the only reason why Christianity is an international thing is because of stuff like this. Like the gospel was meant for the world and not just for Israel. Huh. I like that point. That's good. Yep. Well done. You should be a preacher, man. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I, I, I think that it's cool to see as you start picking at some of these stories, you start seeing what's underneath them and everything that's in the Bible is there for a reason. And the, the biblical authors, they don't have to tell me anything that they don't have to give me any extra information. And and in fact, as we look at the Bible, we don't see them just giving extemporaneous unnecessary uh, filler kind of, kind of words just to create more of an image it's purposeful. And so there was a reason why this story happened after the previous story. There's a reason why uh, the next piece 
which we'll do in the next podcast happens after this and, and, and so forth. Um, and it, it's all been created to, to make this point of let's understand that Jesus is going to people that don't typically receive any sort of blessing from the Jews, unfortunately. And Jesus is coming in as somebody totally different with a different mindset, a mindset that is for all people, right? not just the Jews. Uh, but clearly, as he says, his first priority was the Jews, um, that God had made a, uh, uh, given a blessing to Abraham and had promised Abraham, you're going to be my people. And he had reaffirmed that at Mount Sinai with the Israelites and said, you will be my people. I will be your God. And it's, it's y'all first and then everybody else. And so it's encouraging to see Jesus going to Gentiles but seeing that he still had that heart of it's first for the Jew and then it's for everybody else. But as we start seeing some of the different names that are dropped in here and the places where he's going, um, you start learning more and more as you start learning about who are the Syrophoenicians and where were they located and, and where was Jesus exactly going? And it's, you know, sort of the outskirts of, of Palestine that, things had gotten crazy and he needed to get away. And it even says in verse 24, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Right. Yet he could not be hidden. But the whole purpose of this is things have gotten crazy in Galilee and I need to get out of town for, for a while, but the story doesn't stop because he's God. Right. And God doesn't get a vacation. After the feeding of the 4,000, even the, the Pharisees find them, here's there's only three verses that sort of are a reminder of why he went to the Gentiles in the first place. Because they come demanding a sign from Jesus, and he basically tells them, you ain't getting none. I'm not giving you a sign. And, you know, it's almost, again, I think there's this contrast between the attitude of people who are not quote unquote, the people of God and the Jewish leadership in that there seems to be a lot of faith from even people who weren't necessarily expecting the Christ and very little faith from the people who had been waiting for him for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems like at this point, Jesus goes like, listen, I've done enough. I, I don't know. I don't know what else you want from me. I feel like I've given you plenty. You're not getting another sign. And even, you know, I, I've always been very much intrigued by he, what he tells his disciples next. This is in uh, Mark 8, verse 14. He says, now they have forgotten to bring bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, be, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And basically what he's warning them about there is sort of the corruption of, of these people. You know, it, it, it was a... It was a the imagery of leaven in within the Jewish context was always one of uh, of of corruption, basically, and sort of like this invasive corruption that sort of spreads everywhere, much like leaven does in dough. Um, and so he's basically saying, like, hey, like, be careful of these people. They're not 
they're corrupted. They're not necessarily the people that you want to follow, even though they're at the very top of society. Beware of them. Yeah, it's a it's a nice bow on top of the the story, and it kind of wraps up that that section of starting with the, the Pharisees and saying these guys they want to follow me and they want to look good and they want to bring others along and get them to be where they are, which is why they, they start this conversation with Jesus and they say, Hey, how come you guys aren't doing what we're doing that we're, we're keeping ourselves distant and it sounds good. Well, why do you do that? Well, because the, the gentle styles are impure. Okay. So how do I not be impure? Well, you got to stay away from the Gentiles and you go, okay, well that, I guess that makes sense. So what, what do I need to do? Well, here's some, some things that we're going to do. And so they've got this, this attitude that I think starts in a good place that I can't go into a story, assuming that these guys want to be bad and want to be corrupt and want to manipulate the, the law to be something different than it was intended to be that I believe that, that it had to start with a, a, a good heart that I'm trying to get close to God and I'm trying to get you close to God. Well, how can I do that? Here are some ways that we can do that. And they became ingrained in their society. And so it sounds good and it gains a lot of popularity and a lot of people follow it. And these guys become very respected and Jesus takes his disciples to all these different situations and says, look, I've shown you that we're starting with the Jews, but we are not neglecting the Gentiles. And when somebody comes to me and he's deaf and he's uh, unable to speak, I'm going to heal him and I'm going to take care of him. When we run across a crowd, I'm going to meet their needs. And that after this, he heals a blind man. Um, and so if he's blind, I'm going to, we're going to take care of them. This is my heart and watch out. Beware of these, these things that you can hear from people that sound so good, but underneath it, take you further and further away from, from me and take you further from my heart. And that what they say, it begins to work through everything, every piece of that that dough that is your faith through that bread that is your faith. And you got to be careful of those guys, man. Yeah. Yeah. And even, uh, you know, how he follows up with, with that statement, it says in verse 16, and he began discussing with, they began discussing with one another, the fact that they had no bread and Jesus aware of this said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see and having ears you do not hear. Do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said, they said 12. And the seven for 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And it's almost like, you know, the accusation that he says, like, you, you, even though you hear, um, I'm sorry, even though you see... Having your eyes you do not see, having ears you do not hear. That's an accusation that he brings to the Pharisees. 
right. it's almost like he's saying like, hey, be careful that you really not like them. Like, is your heart hard? And, you know, going back to what we were saying at, at the beginning, Jesus is clearly showing through this passage that he is, the, again, that the gospel is for everybody. And interestingly enough, the two, the two events that he brings to, back for them to remember is the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. He's, he's almost saying, hey, do you not understand? It's the gospel's for everybody. Jesus' ministry was very public. It's not like the Pharisees couldn't think up of an occasion that they may even have witnessed of him having done something very publicly that they could have gone, oh, this is a sign. But it's almost like they're requesting a private sign. Like, hey, only show us. This is a VIP room right now and show us, give us something. <laughs> He's like, no, man, like I've shown you plenty. From my standpoint, um, I'm very, obviously very grateful that the gospel is for everybody. And yeah. there is a, a an encouragement and a beauty. And But like you said, like he goes to these places and he still got one of the challenges that I think that we have in bringing the gospel to people is being able to present them as, as literally this, this God who loves everyone and mm-hmm. who is for everyone. I think for us now at this point in time to say that the gospel was both for Jews and Gentiles may, may seem like a very natural thing to say, but it's almost like, in the context of, of, of Jesus' time and in the context of the Jews and their history, to say that the gospel was for both, it's this revolutionary idea. It's literally right. like saying it, and, and I'm going to say it, and I think hopefully I'll, I'm, I'll try to make the point, but, but it's almost like saying like the gospel is for the good person and the criminal alike. Yeah, I think the analogy falls a little short in the sense that that I think nowadays we look at um, hardened criminals and we say to to ourselves that person really needs Jesus, right? And it's like it, it's almost like I need him less because I'm a good person, but you really need him. Um, whereas it, they really kept it very uh, it was their prized possession that you cannot have this at all um and they guarded it uh incredibly fiercely i was reading about um you know the getty museum in la uh it was named after uh this incredibly wealthy oil tycoon um uh jb uh getty and he made just incredible sick amounts of money and this story was talking about how frugal he was to an absolute fault where he gave his wife acting lessons and demanded that if she ever got a role that paid, that she would pay him back. Oh my gosh. For buying these things. (laughs) Like just this idea of this is my money and I will not get it. And a uh, movie recently came out talking about um, the abduction of his grandson and his grandson was held for ransom. And this guy has billions of dollars. And he says, I'm not going to pay a dime for him because I got 19 other grandkids. And as soon as <laughs> I pay for him, I'm going to have 19 other ransoms to pay. And you go, wow. oh my gosh, this is horrible. This attitude of I, I've got 
all the money in the world and I can keep it. I could give it to you, but I'm not to a fault. Um, and it's, it's heartbreaking when you hear that attitude and it makes you laugh with sort of this, this kind of derision where you look at somebody like that and you go, how could you not spend money to get your, 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 your grandson back? They said that what the ransom was he made in a day off of some of these uh, oil fields that he owned in the Middle East. And he said, no, nope, not going to do it. So it would take you one day, one day to money. free your grandson. And the, the Jews were holding on to their religion, their faith in the same kind of elitist, um, just hordish kind of way of, I'm not going to let anybody else have this. And Jesus called him on it and said, this is ridiculous. You guys have no idea why this has been given to you in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think this is, this passage is specifically important because of what comes after this. And I'm actually, I'm really excited for the next following podcast we're going to do. Cause I've been, since the day we started this series on Mark, I've been waiting for the moment in which we get to Mark 8, the second half of my Mark 8 specifically, because it's literally become one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Um, really? Yes, and we'll explain why later. But basically, I'll give you a little bit of a preview. Um, the Gospel of Mark is basically almost cut in two perfect halves. And what separates the two halves is a question that Jesus asked his disciples which he asked him, who do people say that I am? And we'll not get ahead of ourselves and talk about the response. But basically that question marks a huge shift in Jesus' ministry where he goes from being very public to being a little bit more private with his disciples. And he begins to really teach what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And that is my favorite part of Mark. Not that all of this that we've done before is not good because it's awesome. But I think specifically for the, the whole idea that Jesus is training these men to one day sort of carry his legacy when he's not there and for them to have it in their mind, like, hey, this is for the Gentiles as well. And look at Jesus who performed all these miracles in all these other places. I think is, it's, it's almost crafted to perfection. One of the things I think that is helpful for us to keep in mind is that what modern Christianity tends to do through sermons is we tend to sit on mm. um, short passages, just a sentence or a verse or two and parse out all the different words. And when we do that, we tend to miss a lot of the, the large undulations and ups and downs of the narrative story. And I think that a, a lot of people would benefit themselves if they're able to get themselves into a habit of reading through chunks of narrative Versus. chapters at a time, rather than focusing on what does this one story tell me? What does this one verse tell me? And the, you know, that's, that's helpful as well, but you have to be able to understand and see what is the large scope of the story. So I like the fact that, that we hit 
you know, what essentially amounts to a whole chapter, half of seven, the second half of seven and the first half of eight. Um, I like that we did that because it, it does incorporate this whole idea of Jesus going to Gentiles and having interactions with them. So uh, let's not get ourselves so far away from reading large chunks of the Bible in one sitting so that we can see those ups and downs and those waves. Yeah. And, you know, just to add to that really quick, I think I've, I've really, I really made a switch about it two years ago in my personal Bible study to do that. And I think it's radically changed the way I, I study, teach, and personally understand the Bible. Because, I mean, if you think about it, you never write something uh, to be understood in, in phrases and in words, like in the sentences. You write big ideas. And right. the authors of the Bible were the same. They were writing in big ideas and big like chunks of this is the same theme kind of thing. And I think that's, it's a lot more useful to read it that way, I think. So uh, with that, uh, we'd like to end this podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We do want to remind you that this is a crowdfunded effort. So we appreciate all of your support. Uh, You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash EtherMMC and on social media at EtherMMC. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on the next one.